Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So have you ever um, perhaps been to a garage sale or whatnot and, and there's a bicycle and maybe both the tires are flat and the chain's off and doesn't look very rideable? I find I find one thing that that tends to repeat itself in all these radio shows we've done is the perspective of the topic. And I like the metaphor of a bicycle because the, you can talk about fixing a bicycle, get the chain back on, you know, et cetera. And then there's riding a bicycle. And that and fixing a bicycle and riding a bicycle are not the same at all, not even the slightest. But riding a bike on the beach at the ocean or through a trail covered with trees feeling a cool breeze, that rejuvenates you. A bicycle is such a simple thing, and yet they can bring so much joy. When we look at the human persona, we can we can think about healing ourselves. And oh, God, please, yes, can we heal ourselves? Can we come out of the storm? Can we come out of the quagmire? Indeed, yes, absolutely. And that's that healing modality, that's that's fixing the bicycle. That's rejuvenating ourselves, restoring ourselves. But then there's riding the bike, riding the bike. And I suggest that's a whole different narrative for the human persona. The human persona. There's something that happens when we listen to the inspiration of our heart the inspiration of our soul that's calling us to grow, that's calling us to change our own personal dynamic in a way that our minds would not choose in and of themselves. I've shared on this show many times about the first time my heart said, write a book, (laughs) my ego argued with my heart for years. I didn't want to get on the bike and ride it because I didn't know what would happen. But tonight, I think we have a great episode. The topic tonight, the title of the show is Make Your Mess Your Message. And our guest tonight is Sherry Lee. We're going to bring her on in just a minute. But I want to go back to this notion of Riding a bike, the metaphor of riding a bike, living our lives, evolving who we are, evolving ourselves over time. So often we can come out of a tough, a very tough time. Oh, my God, we've had stories. Our guests have shared 
really horrific stories of their childhood and growing up and and to come out of that that you know struggle that feeling of being not a little bit stuck but like casting concrete stuck to come out of it a lot of times just to stand on our own two feet and and take a deep breath and and have a moment of peace, a moment of rest, a moment of tranquility, like perhaps we've never had before in our life? Absolutely. Absolutely. But to not get stuck there. I know it, it can... Uh, it can feel good just to to come out of the storm and find your own footing and get back on your feet. And a lot of times that can take several years and we can develop habits in those years that are anchored around the rest, the recovery, the re- recuperation, the rejuvenation of our of our persona, our joy, our soul, our our happiness, but then to turn around and lean back into life, maybe perhaps for the first time in our life, if we've if we've spent our childhood trying to slug our way through the jungle and we come into a clearing, a lot of times what we're looking for is a sense of being alive, a sense of evolving ourselves, feeling accomplished, feeling joyful, proud, delighted that we were able to create, to create what didn't exist before, to get on the bike and ride it, to to lean into our life, to to value our own inspiration and to honor that with Intention, attention, and action. I think we're going to have a great conversation tonight. I think we should get right to it. Again, the topic tonight is make your mess, your message, more life lessons from and for my girlfriends is the subtitle of the book. Sherry Lead practicing litigator for 14 years, two-time author and lawyer-turned-life coach, was inspired to attend law school by seeing the injustice her Japanese-American parents experienced when they were wrongfully interned during World War II. Following the expected path of graduate law school, getting married and having kids, Sherry and her husband soon made the joint decision to have one of them stay at home with their two children. Still a licensed attorney today, Sherry stopped practicing in her late 30s. During the transition, she lost the company of men as friends and colleagues as well as her identity because it was entirely wrapped up in her profession. And she had to find her self-worth as a stay-at-home mom. Boy, how, how many of us have been pulled out of the workplace and put in, put in the home, perhaps against our will? These are things she was ill-prepared to do. 
After a breast cancer diagnosis, Sherry immediately thought, this must be happening to me for a reason. My cancer journey caused me to look at other events in my life, and she realized that all the things that have happened to me, she was able to get through because of the mindset she had, the perspective she approached life with. And realizing this made it painful for her to watch others struggle and feel stuck by what life throws their way. You can learn more about her at animperfectlyperfectlife.com. Join me in welcoming Sherry to the show. Sherry, it's so nice to have you on the show. Hi, thank you for inviting me to be here. I'm excited for our conversation tonight. I am too. First of all, I like your book. It uh, it has so many stories of personal transformation in it. Women who have bumped up against the struggle and have found ways to push through that. How did you come about writing books about such things in your life? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, this is my second book. My first book happened a bit by accident um, in the sense that it started out as a personal project of mine. Both books, um, in both books, I interviewed women. And the first book was just a project between my 49th and 50th birthday where I decided to sit down with 50 women who are in my life at some level, some really good friends, others more recent acquaintances, to share with them what they taught me with the belief that everyone we meet is both our teacher and our student. And that organically became a book because I'm an oversharer. I was sharing these uh, <laughs> dates on social media. And different people start to ask me about it and it asked me what inspired me to uh, set these one-on-one dates with, with these women. And the second book that you're referring to, Make Your Mess, Your Message, well, this was during our recent mess that many of us are are still going through with the pandemic. And I'm in Washington State, and our state had gone into uh, stay-at-home orders. My husband and I had just started a remodel on our house. Um, At work stopped. We had had, uh, a lot of the house blocked off. And so I started watching master classes. And I was watching a master class by Robin Roberts, the um, reporter, the news reporter journalist. And she said that her mom taught her to make her mess, her messages. And from there, I thought, okay, I could now meet with women again. But this time, I can ask them, what is the, what is the mess that became their message? And so this was during um, 2020, and I set Uh, 51 Zoom dates and ask the women, what is the mess that became your message? Well, nice. Um, When you watch um, uh, one of your clients go through transformation, do you see that the place they've, they've become stuck is always obvious to them? I mean, do they know it at some level or do sometimes they um, they can't see it for themselves and you become a mirror perhaps or fresh eyes t- to see their, their 
dynamic their narrative and reflect back to them some insights that help them overcome where they've become stuck. Yeah, I think being stuck is something that we often experience without realizing that's what's giving us the angst is because at some level we feel that we're stuck. And I always, um, I, I refer to it as kind of like your survival, you're kind of in survival mode, fight or flight, right? Fight meaning the anger you're fighting back and flight meaning at the effect of being a victim of where is that stuck place. And there are times that we do need that flight or that, you know, kind of stuck, but we're not, we're not actually doing something for survival, but if we stay in that for too long, then it becomes detrimental. And that's what I see when my clients come to me and they're at this place where they feel that they don't have a purpose or they don't, they don't have choice is that they've, they've stayed in this kind of flight, flight mode, this being at the victim of, and they don't recognize that they have choice. Uh, and then that, that's where me as a life coach, that's where my job comes in, to start asking questions, to start uncovering the answers that they already have inside of them so they can see that, hey, there are opportunities out there, even though the situation is bad and maybe though my choices might be that not great, you know, not all choices right. are great, but there are still choices to everything. Um, and it's amazing that once we, you know, once, we are able to get past that idea that, hey, you're not stuck. Um, it's amazing some of the ideas that flow and just that feeling of relief and, and being, again, in control. I can totally see from this, um, these last couple of years, kind of an, a new, um, I don't know, prognosis or whatever, Um for people to wait, for people to sit on their hands waiting for things to get back to, quote, normal, unquote, it, you know, and I, and it's easy to relate to if in 2019 you're coming up in your career and things are happening, you're buying a house, whatever, and then, and then crash and crash and crash and crash and crash, and, and you're, to wait for the narrative to stabilize again. N- nobody knows if that'll take two months, two years, or two decades. How do we, how do we re-sculpt our strategy, our plan, our outlook, our intention while we're in the midst of a storm? Yeah, well, that was one thing that was very interesting about this process of asking women what's the mess that became their message, because a lot of them said, wow, this is the first time I ever actually thought about it, because when I was in that mess, I was just trying to survive. And um, but the but what came out of this process is learning that every mess really had a direction. There was a message there. So I think looking at this pandemic and where we are now, recognizing that there's actually a message here. We don't have to sit here and wait for some external force to tell us it's okay to go out in the world or to change things for us. There's a message here that's redirecting us to um, oftentimes something better and, and something that's more in line with where we need to go. I like that. Well, how do we, how do we find out about ourselves? Like, I mean, 
you can sprinkle flour on the ki- on the kitchen floor to see if you've been sleepwalking or not. I mean, it leaves traces, and you can tell. But if if we have mental mindsets and attitudes and opinions that don't serve us that we're not really privy to, how do we how do we untangle ourselves and and find the the gem that's hidden in our mess? I think one thing, the first step is to look back at some of your past messes and realize where those messes led you to. And oftentimes, like, for example, um, you know, the broken relationship, the house or apartment that you didn't get, the job promotion or job that you didn't receive. When you look back at those messes, you'll often find that you ended up in a better, more fulfilling relationship. You ended up with maybe a mortgage or a rent that you could afford or a better neighborhood. And you ended up with a job that suited you a little bit better or a position that was better for you. Um, so a lot of times, one, it helps to look back at our past messes, things that we thought were, were negative, and see where they actually led us. And most oftentimes, it's towards something better. Um, something greater. And recognizing just that kind of helps open our eyes to our current situation to see, okay, wait, what, where is this leading me to? As opposed to looking at all these things that have happened as roadblocks, looking at them more as detours. I like that. It's like uh, there's information in what what we're pushing against, so to speak. There's um, a lot of times we can blame the other person, the situation, the condition. And perhaps for a lot of people, the first step might be to take some ownership of of their role in some of the quagmire. When you went from working full-time to a stay-at-home mom, were there things about yourself that you discovered that you didn't know about? Well, I went straight from college to law school, and so my identity was entirely wrapped up into in my career. And, you know, when I meet someone new, I would say I'm an attorney, and they would more often than not find that interesting or at least have a topic that we could discuss. And I didn't have to say, oh, I have this level of education. I didn't have to justify who I was. And all right. of a sudden, when I found, found myself as a stay-at-home mom, I felt that I needed to kind of justify my role and, and, and my worth. And that was hard. That was really hard to do because it, uh, me staying at home was not necessarily a well-planned um, process. It was kind of a reaction <laughs> to what we needed for our family at the time. Right. Uh, so that that was big to try to find my own identity separate from what my title was, um, and and it's it's in, you know for a while I would joke when I would meet someone new and they say what do you do I would say nothing you know I do nothing and I realized at some point that I needed to stop saying I do nothing because by saying that and using those words I was devaluing devaluing myself and my own self-worth. So uh, it was a process for me to to get from being attached to a title to recognizing that I have worth just in and of who I am 
and it didn't matter what my title was, I could still be a leader in my community and still be an effective um, committee member and citizen. That's interesting because, like, you mentioned um, I do nothing. Um, and, and the image that came to my mind was uh, a mystic in a cave in the Himalayan mountains sitting there meditating for 20 years, you know, <laughs> to, yeah. the, to, to the Western eye. And, and that's kind of what struck me is, is you're being quantified, and it, it's so common in the Western culture, well, what do you do? What do you do? Mm-hmm. And to not fill in that blank with something of, quote, value, unquote, it, it, it's like a measuring stick to our worth, and that just can't be. That can't be an, uh, an legitimate description of a human persona. We don't have to have an answer to a question that is perhaps skewed to begin with, if that makes sense. Yeah, you you don't realize how much judgment is carried with the titles we carry. You know, when all of a sudden I say I'm an attorney, I'm a litigator, um, that that stands fairly high maybe in society, as opposed to if I say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And all of a sudden that drops me, even though I as a person have not changed. Uh, so it's interesting the judgment that we carry, that, you know, we put on these different titles. Uh, and we as parents, and when we have kids, the, the more we can get rid of those, uh, the, the, the importance of, uh, that we put on titles, I think the healthier our kids can be. And, and the healthier it is for them to be able to choose who they want to be absent a title. Right. Well, even the notion of a title as being a, quote, job, unquote. I mean, imagine uh, um, the inquisition of of who or what are you, and you answer happy, at peace, content. You know what I mean? It's like there's... um, that doesn't describe, per se, a, a social stature, but how many people on the planet would like to have a feeling of peace in their life today just to accomplish being at ease or coming to terms, so to speak, with yourself? I mean, that doesn't check off in any employment category, per se. It, it's a it's a personal state of mind. Um I think people are really hungry for a, a, a deeper sense of connection when when everything outside the house is in proverbial turmoil, to find a sense of peace in your own skin, so to speak. Uh, I would consider a, a very accomplished um, endeavor. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think everyone's ultimate goal in life is happiness. And if you look at, uh, if you're familiar with like the blue zones and, and places where people live the longest around the world, and you look at some of the factors uh, that are common, even though these places are very different and the cultures are very different, 
one of the top factors are the relationships that these people have with their community, with each other, with their jobs, with what they do. And their level of happiness also is very high. So you have this relationship between uh, community, happiness, and longevity. Uh, so, you know, being able to say, you know, what do you do or what are you or, or who are you and being able to say I'm happy or I'm at peace, that actually should be the ultimate goal and the highest level of who we can describe ourselves as. Well, I like that. You know, the, the thought that came to mind was the uh, persona Patch Adams, played by Robin Williams. Patch Adams is, mm. of course, a real person, but as as uh, um, fulfilling the role of a doctor, he would he would look for the happiness in them, and and once he brought that out of them, a lot of what they were quote struggling with seemed to fall to the wayside. Uh, and, and that's what I like about your, um, the experience that you have, have gained through your first book and this book, where you're interacting one-on-one with women. I mean, that's got to give you a perspective, a perception kind of across the board, so to speak, of what we're women perhaps typically get stuck. Do you notice any common themes that seem to be uh, reoccurring in these interviews? The only the only real common theme that I've noticed especially in this last book message message is that is that we all have messages. We're all connected because I speak with women of all ages, all ethnic backgrounds. Uh, different educational levels, different political standings, different um, religious views, and when it comes down to it, we're all connected. We all have the same messes. And being able to speak to these women, I mean, it, it, it was like free therapy for me. Um, <laughs> one well, one woman in particular changed the way I, I conduct my daily life, actually, and she was my paralegal you know, a good 20 years ago. And I knew her when her family was very young. Her kids, they, they, they kind of look like the all-American family. They were the all-American family. And it so happens that her son, uh, long story short, ended up on the street. He uh, came home from college, had his wisdom teeth out, and uh, was prescribed Oxycontin. And shortly thereafter, he was actually on meth on the street. And this was a student athlete from college, and it was a 10-year struggle for this family as he went in and out of uh, rehab, and at times they didn't know where he was at. And speaking to her, we have a, you know, I'm in the Seattle area, and we have as many large cities, a a serious homeless problem here. And I didn't realize until I spoke to her that I had become numb to the homeless where I'm at a a stoplight and I would try not to make eye contact or I would, you know, walk on the other side of the street or whatever it was. I stopped at some point seeing um, our homeless population as somebody's son, daughter, brother, sister, uh, friend. And after speaking to her, I started carrying backpacks in my car and it just, uh, and I now, you know, I, I look for people when I'm at a stoplight and I make eye contact. I've had some of the most amazing conversations in that short stoplight period of time while I hand over the backpacks filled with supplies. Um, 
So she changed the way I conduct myself on a daily basis. And I realized having these conversations, we all have messes. And our lives are all messy. That's the common thread. And when you ask for a common thread, that's the common thread. Our lives are messy. And it just takes, you know, talking to one another to realize that we are connected and uh, we can learn something from everyone we talk to. I like that. It's kind of a metaphor for our collective persona, our collective consciousness. I mean, how many cities have had uh, the homeless tent cities pop up all over? I'm I'm here in Denver, and um, I see them pop up all over the place. And I think a lot of people are being forced into that narrative so to speak. And I mean, we're talking about the, your message, your message as an individual. But what if we took that perception and put it, applied it to the collective consciousness and look at, like you say, I really like your example of the homeless because we become numb. We come, we become numb to this aspect of truly ourselves i mean humanity is going through struggles and many people are being pushed into a a homeless narrative to to make our collective mess our the message to our collective selves i mean there's a saying i'm i should know better than try to think of a saying if I don't know it per se, but that says you can judge a culture by how they treat the, the, the individual that's worst off. How do they treat someone who can't return? How do they treat the homeless? How do they treat the, you know, the, the shadow side of themselves? And that is a good indicator of, of a healthy community versus an unhealthy if you become numb to it and that would i mean metaphorically it we could turn around and apply that to ourselves which is a lot of what your book is is to discover the the heartache the grief within ourselves and and to heal that and push through that does that make sense yeah that completely makes sense and i love you know i had not heard that before um, regarding the health or the, you know, the, the health of a community, but that makes absolute sense. And uh, another thing I, I learned is I actually spoke with a woman who's a professional obstacle racer. Um, she's a former, or she does Ninja Warrior races and Spartan races, and she said that a lot of the obstacle races that are really good tend to be older racers, older than the the track racers, because these are the racers that recognize that obstacles are going to be there, but they don't worry about them until they see them. And when they see them, they know that they could, they have the tools to conquer the obstacle. So they don't overthink it, but they know they have the skill set to move around it. And they also see obstacles as, as things that are put in front of them to direct them towards the finish line, as opposed to stop them. Um, or misdirect them, and I thought that was such a good analogy for life, and we learn this as we also get older because of our past experiences that messes and obstacles will come. They just happen in life, 
but we know from our past experiences that we all carry the tools and the skill set to overcome those obstacles. And if we can look at the obstacles or the life messes as detours, just sending us in a different direction towards our goal or even redefining our goal, it really makes it a lot easier um, and sometimes even exciting to see, okay, here's an obstacle. Where can this be leading me? I like that. Well, a lot of times we can get in our heads about our mess where we we think of ourselves as a particular way. I've got this problem. I've got that problem. I'm inadequate here. I'm inadequate there. And and we kind of hinge everything on on that assessment of ourselves. And and yet in every day we have an opportunity to to kind of set that aside and and nurture ourselves and and treat ourselves maybe it's a hot bath in the bathtub or or turning the phone off and listening to music or something what can we do to like rejuvenate our our batteries so to speak in the struggle in the journey I think the the first step, again, we're going to go back to that word stuck. I think the first step, if, if you're feeling anxiety about where you are now or the state of the world, to recognize that that's probably a sign that you're feeling stuck somewhere. That anxiety, the angst in your body, the stress, is probably a sign that you're feeling stuck. And so it, for me, that tells me I need to take a step back and just take a breath and, and detach for a moment. And detachment doesn't mean you don't care, but detach for a moment so that you can look at something sort of from the outside um, to, to see your options and see that you are actually not stuck and you do have, have choice here. And it may not be, you know, like I said earlier, you may, the choices might not be great. You know, we, we can take, take what we're seeing happening in Ukraine and feeling, feeling helpless and feeling stuck being over here and what can we do? What can we individually do? Well, we could, there is some, there are things that we can individually do. Maybe it is looking at a charity that, you know, you can volunteer for, or as you were saying earlier, you know, as a collective, we're a collective of, of the human race. Maybe it's a sign that we should, we, we need to go out and help someone that's, that's struggling or that may be, um, you know, worse off position than us. But there's always a choice and there's always an action that can be taken. So I think that as far as self-care is recognizing first that that angst and anxiety is because you feel you're stuck and detach for a moment, take a step back, breathe and look and see what is at least one step you can do to, to move forward, to feel, to notice, to recognize that you're not stuck. Nice. I like that. Well, now... You mentioned your first book was somewhat of an accident. What What is the hope you have for these books that you've written? Yeah, so both books, I, I, I have challenges for the reader in both books. The first book, but they're basically the same challenge. And what it comes down to is I want people to to commit to meeting with whether it's five or 10 different people, it doesn't have to be 50 people like I did, but, but commit to meeting with, with maybe five people over the course of the next year 
and to sit down one-on-one and either, you know, tell them what you've learned from them or, you know, ask them what is the mess that became your message, but have conversations that you don't normally have and get to really know the person and listen to their story. So often when we get together, we talk to each other, but we don't learn or talk, learn about each other or learn each other's stories. And the first book, actually, you know, I said it was between my 49th and 50th birthday that I wanted to meet with 50 women. It actually, the idea, the spark of the idea came when I went to a memorial service. And I heard of a friend, and I heard a number of people stand up and talk about this woman, about how she affected their lives, and all these great stories. And it really saddened me to hear them talk about her and realize they never said these things to her. And so that's what initially sparked the idea of me sitting down and talking to people over the course of that year between my 49th and 50th birthday. And that's the spark that uh, the motivation I want people to have to encourage them to sit down and have these conversations with people, why we have this, this opportunity. And I guarantee you'll remember every conversation that you have and the person that you sit down with. I had people cry when I sat down and uh, really saw them and told them what they taught me. Uh, and so that told me this is a needed, this is a needed process and we need to change the way we communicate with each other and, and, and really look at each other and um, communicate from the heart. Wow. Communicate from the heart. I like that. A while back, I had a men's group and we would meet and share stories and there was one particular man that kind of I don't know I don't maybe I I might say seemed out of place he drove a very nice car he wore very nice clothes he, his life was very much put together or so it seemed and uh what we would do is we'd get in a circle and we'd use a talking stick. And the idea behind a talking stick is if you're not holding the stick, shut up and let the person talk. Mm-hmm. And and we'd pass the stick around. And I would, the first time somebody held a stick, they knew, knew the group first time. They'd share something kind of superficial or, you know, second time around, third time around. I realized what they were doing was testing the water to see, because a lot of times when they would start talking, the power was in their fifth or sixth or seventh sentence. And normally they'd never get to that sentence without getting interrupted. But with a talking stick, they knew that they could share the totality of their story and not be interrupted. And the stick came around to this man, and he said, I came home from work, and the house was empty, vacated. My wife left me with the kids while I was at work one day. I never saw them again. I never had a chance to say goodbye to my kids. And I couldn't comprehend the pain of that, that he was carrying around in his psyche 
And to create a space, I think he had said he had never shared that publicly with other people. And for him to just verbalize that took so much weight off of his shoulders. It didn't change what had happened, but it gave him an opportunity to to reintegrate himself, so to speak. Instead of carrying all that trauma in himself, he could unload. So when when you... Do you notice when you talk with people with so many interviews over and over again, do you know, uh, do you notice how some of them might need a, um, something to allow them to kind of drop deeper into their story? Oh, yeah. I um, With the first book where it was me telling them what I've learned from them, I noticed one thing, it's hard for us to receive compliments about ourselves and, and to, to hear somebody say something good and, and hear that somebody's actually seen us. So that was, you know, it, one, it, that was, I know it was hard and we, without throwing it back at me, right? Because we're used to saying, oh, no, not me. It's, you know, you do this, this great thing. I don't. And so that was one thing I noticed. Another thing I've noticed more, and I say this with coaching, is that we feel like, one, we, we're not used to talking about our stuff, you know, and we don't want to be judged. And if we do, we don't want to take up that space from somebody or bring somebody else down. So to be able to have that time where someone else says, hey, it's okay. What is your mess? You know, what, where did that lead you? Tell me your story. Um, it, it is, you know, I said it was like free therapy for me. It was also like free therapy for the people I spoke to, not because I was, you know, <laughs> giving so much wisdom, but because I was sitting there listening and hearing their story and hearing how their experiences changed their lives. And they felt safe to say that. So it's just like you explained, we don't have a, we don't create a place for people to feel comfortable with sharing what they're going through, the negative. You know, we love to, especially with social media, we love to see the positives and we love to share right. the positives. Uh, and I, we do a, a real disservice to our communities when we don't give each other the space. So that was, um, and as I mentioned, you know, I guarantee every woman who I've met with remembers these conversations. It's because they are rare and they can be very impactful, even when it's just them talking about themselves and sharing their story. That's act alone can be so impactful and so healing. Nice. Well, I know the 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 masculine side of the equation has so much heartache and so much pain and we ask men to do really brutal things in the name of war and patriotism and honor and duty and it scars them so very deeply. And uh to to create a place where um, that that can get uh, a light shined on it, you know, to to help it heal. What I like about the approach you take with your book is what you just said. Show me your mess. Show me your ugly. Show me your your what you're not so happy about yourself. And and to put it right at the front of the conversation, what kind of feedback have you gotten from from women about your books? 
So there's um, a place. So every chapter is the interview I had with the woman and um, with one of my girlfriends. And then there's a place um, after the chapter for somebody to journal. And that I've um, had groups, book groups, journal together throughout the course of the year through the book. And the feedback I get is that these stories remind them not only of their own messes, but they remind them of their girlfriends as well. And it makes them uh, feel more comfortable talking to one another and seeing that connection with each other without the judgment of, you know, this person has this mess and it carries all this judgment. It takes judgment away when you see that all, you know, you see all these different faces, all these different women who look um, on the outside very different from each other. You see them going through the same stuff. Um, and so the feedback I've gotten is the power of seeing that connection and seeing that, it, you know, it's okay to have a mess. It's okay to have a mess. And there is something beautiful that can happen even out of the most painful messes. Well spoken. The, so how has this changed your, how has this journey and insights changed your relationship with your, with your family and, and your friends? I mean, do you approach those relationships differently as a result of that? Yes. Well, with friends, one, you know, I joke and say I have a low friendship bar because when I meet somebody, (laughs) I I consider them a friend. But what it it has done is when I meet someone, I'm now looking at them for their story, basically. I mean, I'm not asking a lot of questions, but I look at them like, wow, I wonder what, you know, their story is. And it instantly, one, takes the pressure off of me. I think historically when I was younger, I would be more worried about what I was going to say, how I am going to present. And now, instead, I look at somebody and think, wow, this person, you know, I'm focused on them and not on me when I meet them and think that we're already connected because I know we must share some human, you know, experience that's that's very similar. And that mindset of meeting new people in that way uh, really has laid a foundation for amazing friendships and friendships that build a lot quicker over time than uh, the way I used to approach them, worried more about how I present rather than really focusing on the person I'm meeting. So that's one. Second thing with, um, with my family, there's one thing I do that my husband does not necessarily like, but, you know, we talked about being stuck, and I'm going on my 25th wedding anniversary uh, this year, and at year 20, I decide that on every anniversary day, I'm going to ask, or every anniversary, I'm going to have a sit down and we're going to have to decide whether or not we want to do this another year. And wow. by that simple act, by that simple act, it makes me realize every year that we're not stuck. Because after 25, you know, during a period of 25 years of marriage or any long relationship, you get to a point sometimes where you become bitter or you, you feel like you're stuck and you start to be resentful. Um, but doing this practice every year makes me realize, one, we both chose to be here. Either of us could leave, and that's okay, but we're choosing to be here, which makes whatever happens in that next year okay, because it reminds me, okay, this is, we, 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 we're here by choice. Um, and just having that, instead of like renewing vows and renewing the decision to be in the marriage every year, um, really has strengthened it. Wow, that's that's pretty powerful. I like that. Well, the 
the notion of putting your mess right up front, you know, like like we've been talking about. And we've also mentioned social media that wants everything to be up and up and up and use the filter on your Instagram to remove any imperfections, so to speak. Um, what if we just quit judging each other by um, these superficial societal standards? Um, what would the world look like then? Yeah, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be amazing? Um, that'd be beautiful. You know, I have I I have I haven't gotten a tattoo in a long time. <laughs> my last tattoo <laughs> probably happened about 15 years ago, but my last one was uh, the light within. And yeah, if we could just uh, we could actually um, see each other on the inside uh, and and let go of that outward judgment. That really. Um, that'd be a beautiful thing, I think. I think that judgment is extremely expensive, not per se where the judgment happens, but what it does to our psyche. Because, uh, you know, we've talked about meeting new people and and having this, I don't know, posture with them. We want to present ourselves appropriately and we want to, fill in the blank of what do you do with with a value, some sort of value that society has created a scale or chart regarding. But, but what comes to mind is like kids on the playground. You know, they, they don't give a crap where your shoes come from, you know. <laughs> they don't, right. they don't, there's an innocence to that. And and maybe innocence is um, maybe honoring innocence is is a value that our collective consciousness could uh, could benefit from valuing more than we have in the past. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know, we all if if we're lucky, we all end up kind of looking the same. <laughs> you know, yeah. my mom, yeah. my mom's. Like, my mom's 93 and I, and she lives in a retirement community and I, I visit and I look around and it's, you know, everyone to me looks the same. So it's kind of like whatever rat race we're in, uh, <laughs> if we're lucky enough, we live to a certain age and we kind of, at least to the outside world, sort of end up looking the same physically on the outside. Um, so why don't we you know, work more on our insides and, and recognize really what's important. Um, um, but yeah, we put way too much value on, on judgment and judging ourselves. And the more we can let go of that and recognize that, you know, we all, we all have the same messes and ultimately we're going to end up in the same place if we're, if we're lucky enough, at least, you know, at least um, maybe physically, maybe even in, in our place too because like I said my mom's 93 and you don't know what homes these um, elderly people lived in before but they're all you know in this in this retirement home together now uh, and all those years of judgment of neighborhoods and all of this other stuff really doesn't doesn't matter at this point right well so often um, we put people in a box really 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 fast what generation are, are you from 
Um, what side of the political coin do you affiliate with? I mean, uh, there's just so many ways we have these labels. And once we put a label on somebody, I mean, and for a lot of people, the label is the defining factor. Um, I could I could choose any arena of labels, uh, like politics. You're a Democrat or you're a Republic, you're a liberal, liberal or conservative, you're that you're a millennial, you're a this, you're a that. And if there's anything I've learned from this show over the years is the human persona is a vast, rich, deep well of characteristics that um, that it's just criminal to to throw a label on somebody and then ignore them because the label isn't on your side of the coin, so to speak. Wow, what what crazy times we live in. Well, we've only got a few minutes left, and I want to make sure the audience knows about you, your books, your website, and any other um, aspects of yourself you'd like to share. Could you do that now? Sure. Um, my business name, which is a mouthful, is An Imperfectly Perfect Life, and I can be found, um, that's the website also, and on social media or LinkedIn, um, it's also An Imperfectly Perfect Life. And again, as you mentioned, my name's Sherry Lead, and my books are available on Amazon the easiest, but they're also available in, um, wherever books are sold. Well, you've worked with, uh, you've interviewed so many women. If you had their ear right now to talk to, what would you like to say to them? You know, my favorite quote, uh, which comes in the form of a question, is, if today were the last day of your life, would you be doing what you're doing now? And um, that's a quote that I I use a lot on my own life, and I, it, it repeats in my head. And so I would say, you know, if they're feeling any angst or feeling stuck, recognize that there's a choice and ask yourself that question. You know, if today was the last of your life, would you be doing what you're doing now? Um, and if the answer is no, then it, it's it's time to make some changes, and they have all the power in the world to to make those changes. All the skills are inside. Well, very nice. Well, Sherry, uh, our can go by pretty fast. I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation as well. We've been talking with Sherry Lead, and the topic tonight is about her latest book, her second book, Make Your Mess, Your Message, More Life Lessons, from and for my girlfriends. It's, uh, I think it's a really valuable time we're living in right now because there's so much turmoil. Imagine 2019, the summer of 2019. How many of us were had any any habit of personal introflection to to look at ourselves to to kind of stand down from perhaps our busy life and reflect on our choices, reflect on how we feel. 
maybe do some personal work. For a lot of people on the planet, that wasn't even on their radar in 2019. And here we are now, everybody and their dog <laughs> has has had stuff put, come up within their psyche, has, has seen some aspects of the collective consciousness that perhaps they they didn't care care about notice maybe they ignored it and and like it or not we're we're going through a a really good opportunity to heal ourselves individually and collectively at such a deep level such a deep level if there's anything i've noticed over the years with this show is humanity's hungry humanity is Humanity's tired of uh, inauthentic value system. Humanity's um, t- tired of of holding importance to something that has no real value to us. The the the, the bling of of society that really doesn't have any value to us. I, I think we're hungry for a a more genuine a more authentic narrative, a more uh, compassionate narrative, where perhaps we value passionate expression, where we value creativity, where we value a sense of peace, peace in our own persona, even though we're we're entrenched in this uh, this karmic tsunami, if you will, to be able to find a place of peace, a, a place of rest. The, the curious thing about your heart is it'll beat every day over the entire course of your life. And the way that makes it possible is in between beats, it can come to a place of rest. Who knows how long this tsunami is going to go on of change. I think change change is going to be the new norm for quite a while. Take some time in in your navigating the storm, so to speak, and find rest for yourself, your own personal rest. And you can can create this. You can draw a bath or turn off your phone and play some music or read a book. Turn the flipping TV off and and rejuvenate yourself. Life's, life is such a vibrant, dynamic, unlimited aspect, and you are that life now. Consciousness, which we all are, consciousness by its very nature seeks to expand and evolve itself. How, how would expanding and evolving evolving yourself serve you what a fun episode i want to thank you the guest for showing up for yourself what an exciting time to be alive it's my pleasure it's my passion to bring you shows to help you navigate your own life i'm your host les jensen always a pleasure until next time thanks for listening This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, 
the new age of power at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.